You're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. Line Up Online, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah asks an interesting question in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 9. He asks, Who shall we teach knowledge? And whom shall we make to understand doctrine? And then he answers the question, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. Here a little, and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Tell your pastor about this study. Let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Acts chapter 15, and Acts chapter 15 is a, a very pivotal uh, chapter in the recounting by Luke of the apostleship of Paul. Uh, it's really where there is this contention over how to treat the Gentile uh, community within the believing community of God. And so let's uh, open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into Acts chapter 15. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study to, to give you thanks as always. We are ever so grateful to you, Lord, for your compassion, for your loving kindness, for your mercy, Father. We just thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the desire that you put in our hearts to want to understand the scriptures. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless this desire and that you'll give us more understanding as we study your word line upon line. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this blessing, Lord, in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So last week we were in Acts chapter 14, and I just want to pick up the tail end of Acts 14 as context for Acts 15. And in verse 26 of Acts 14, he says, And then sailed to Antioch, so they were retracing their steps and going back. Uh, they went back to Antioch from where, from where they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. So they were settled there. We, Luke doesn't say what he means by long time, but we can assume that he was there at least for several months, uh, just really just strengthening the brethren there, just sharing with them all that happened on their journeys with, and, and how God had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So now we come into chapter 15. And certain men, which came down from Judea, taught the brethren, 
and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so this is interesting now that, and, and you know, to us we look at this as believers today and we see how unreasonable they are. But back in the day, I think we put ourselves in their shoes that these are the, the Jews that are faithful to the covenant. They understand the Torah. They understand the law of Moses. And they understand how important circumcision was as a sign of the covenant, a sign that was given to Abraham, passed down to Moses, a, a, a law that, in fact, that Moses codified. And uh, so if these Gentiles are now going to be part of this community, of course they have to be circumcised. And so this is something that uh, you can just, again, understand where they are coming from. And he says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So notice that Luke says that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation. This was a huge argument. This was a huge, huge argument. The people are very strong in their opinions. These, these brethren must, okay, great they're baptized, but they must be circumcised. Otherwise, they cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas arguing the exact opposite. No, this is not necessary. They do not need to be troubled with this, this circumcision. This is about faith, not about works. And, and so both sides have very strong arguments. That's why it was such a big argument and a long argument that this wasn't just something that Paul said, guys, you guys are not quite seeing clearly. Let me explain it to you. And then everybody says, oh, okay, we see clearly. No, this is something there were very strong opinions with very strong arguments on both sides. And therefore, they determined that the best thing to do here is for Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them, maybe those are on the other side of the argument, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And you can almost see these um, people who are pushing for the circumcision, who are teaching that the, the Gentiles must be circumcised. You can almost see them really enjoying this, this conclusion that, okay, why don't we take a party, and Paul and Barnabas, you go with them, and go to Jerusalem, and in the back of their mind, they're probably thinking, well, you'll get yourself sorted out, because the apostles in Jerusalem will know what's what, and they'll straighten you out. So they're going to all now go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So it's something they could not resolve on their own. They're now appealing to the apostles in Jerusalem. Verse 3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria. So that phrase, being brought on their way, what that means is the brethren raised funds. The, the brethren made sure that they had what they needed in terms of funds, in terms of food, in terms of transportation to get to Jerusalem. So being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. So while they're on their way to Jerusalem, they're showing you just the, the success that they've had in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So people are really rejoicing over the effectiveness and the fruit that they are bearing. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things 
that God had done with them. So they get to Jerusalem, and you can imagine Paul doing most of the talking, and, and they're sharing with the apostles and the elders and, and the brethren there just the success of their journeys, how God is opening up the hearts of the Gentiles, how they're repenting, they're being baptized, they're receiving the Holy Spirit, and just the, the miraculous support uh, that uh, they, are, they are giving to the work of God, being Gentiles. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So notice these Pharisees, uh, they, are, they are believers. So, so they're explaining that these are Pharisees that actually do believe. They're Pharisees that are in the church. And I think normally when we think of Pharisees, we think of people who are not in the church, who, who reject Christ completely. Well, no, these Pharisees accepted Christ, and they were con converts, but they just couldn't get over the Torah requirement for circumcision. And in their mind, it's impossible for you to be part of the community if you are not circumcised, because circumcision is the sign that God gave to Abraham of the covenant. So they explained that there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So it's circumcision and also to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together to consider of this matter. So they're hearing now, they're going to consider the arguments from both sides that uh, they were having in Antioch. And when there had been much disputing, so same thing, so even here in Jerusalem, uh, it's not so clear-cut. There, there are very strong arguments for both sides. And so it's not just, oh yeah, well here, look, this is, this is the answer. Uh, there was a lot of argument. There was a lot of um, debate. There was a lot of consideration to the different scriptures and the different arguments and, and, and very strong opinions. And so when there had been much disputing, in other words, they really, maybe at this point now, they're beginning to repeat themselves. You know, it's all been said, and you know how that goes sometimes when you're really debating something that's uh, pretty important, but after a while you've said it all. And then all you're doing now is just rehashing and repeating yourself. So when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. So remember how Luke wrote this? You know, it was Peter and John initially that he was focused on their ministry. And then he shifts beginning in Acts 12 from a focus on Peter's ministry to a focus on Paul's ministry. And then Paul's preaching, we're going to follow this on now, Paul's ministry out to the Gentile world. Initially, Paul was focused on the Jewish world. But Peter was really seen as one of the key leaders, a chief apostle in a sense, not a chief apostle, but one of the most influential of the apostles. And so now Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So Peter's saying, look, uh, God gave me a vision and took me to a Gentile to preach the gospel. In fact, let's go to Acts 10. And in Acts 10, you'll remember when we were there, just, we'll just pick up verse 28, where Peter said, said unto them, uh, you know the, he's speaking to Cornelius, the household of Cornelius, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. But God has shown me 
that I should not call any man common or unclean. And so this is that vision, that dream that uh, Peter had of uh, these the unclean animals coming down into a basket and, and, or a blanket, and, not, and he's not to call them unclean. And him, he then realizing that God is showing him that the Gentiles of all nations are not to be considered unclean, that they in fact will be grafted in to Israel. So, so he shares with the brethren here in Jerusalem, after listening to the disputes, he's listening back and forth to the different arguments, and he says, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. So Peter's saying there's no doubt about the validity of the conversion of the Gentiles. I actually, God chose me to receive this vision, to be the one to be the first one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And I witnessed that they received the Holy Spirit the same way we have. And so how can you say, with the argument being, how can you say they cannot be saved when God is giving them the Holy Spirit? How can you say they're unclean? This is the realization he had to come to. How can I say they're unclean when God is giving them the Holy Spirit? giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Their hearts were purified by faith, and they received the Holy Spirit, and there was no difference between them and us. So here's now, here's Peter's conclusion to the Pharisees, the, the believing Pharisees. Now, therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So, you know, this, this burden that we had, of, and, and when we say the law, the law can be interpreted in many different ways. There's the moral law, you know, do not murder somebody, do not uh, fornicate, do not commit adultery, do not lie. There's the moral law. But then there's the, the, the law, the ceremonial laws, and the, the, the civil laws of Moses, where Moses was establishing this nation, and, 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 and it was a complete civilization with, with uh, civil laws and, and ceremonial laws for, for worship. And so the whole system is what the Pharisees mastered, and what they're wanting to now impose on everybody, and in a sense police everybody. And the, the story of Israel is a, is a story of disaster. They were completely unable to live up to the standard of the Mosaic law. So Peter's looking at this thing. Now, therefore, why are you tempting God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. So, so... You know, we couldn't bear this burden of the entire system of the Mosaic Law. Uh, but we believe that we will be saved. We believe we have mercy. We believe we have grace in Jesus Christ. And the Gentiles are believing the same thing. Then all the multitude kept silence. So Peter stood up and just shared this. And so they just kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. So Barnabas and Paul were the ones that were now preaching the gospel and bringing, having such success with the Gentiles that caused this dispute, that caused them to have to come to Jerusalem to sort this out. So now they're going to listen to Paul and Barnabas, declaring what miracles 
and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So then they share this is what God is doing with, with, with us and our ministry. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that is Peter, Simeon has declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. So Peter was the one who received this vision. He was the first one to see that God was going to move among the Gentiles. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So, so he is now saying that what Peter experienced was not um, outside of the prophetic word. It, in fact, it was a fulfillment of the prophetic, prophetic word. And he says in, in verse uh, 16 here, after this, so he's quoting uh, the prophets. This is uh, actually uh, speaking of, of Amos. And, and there's also this prophecy in, in Jeremiah as well. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And listen to this. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who does all these things. So there is very clearly this prophetic word that God will reach out to the Gentiles. And when they study the prophetic scriptures, they see that there was a plan always for the Gentiles to have access to God. Back to uh, continuing in verse 18. So he says, uh, upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So James is saying, this should not surprise us. This is actually in the scriptures, and it's something that God knew he was going to do. So if God knew he was going to do this, it means he already made provision to bring the Gentiles into the faith. So this is not, we're not trying to solve this as if God did not anticipate it. This was known from the beginning that God would do this. Therefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And what's really interesting about this, this council, this meeting, is this, this is all, this is all, uh, this is a Jewish council. So this is a, the first church council, and it's all Jews. Within a matter of a few years, we're going to see ecumenical councils of the Christian church, and there's not a single Jew present. That the, or the establishment of the quote-unquote church is established with a spirit of anti-Semitism. There is a, such a despising and a hatred of the Jews that Jesus Christ himself would not be welcome at these initial uh, ecumenical councils of quote-unquote the church. When you look at the church fathers, they were filled with such vile hatred for the Jews that their mission was to stamp out any trace of, of the Hebraic root of the church. And that's why today churches are surprised to learn that Jesus was a Jew. Churches are surprised to learn that all of the initial converts to the church were Jewish. They're, they would be shocked to learn that the initial council of the church elders was comprised fully of Jews. When, when, when we look at the fathers, their whole mission 
is to completely stamp out any trace of Jewishness from the church and to make it a Greco-Roman religion. And so that's why today you can't recognize anything. Or, you know, for, for a Hebrew to look at the Christian world today, there's nothing that's recognizable. Well, this, this is very fascinating. So here we have these Jewish elders all coming together, and then James stands up and says, Therefore my sentence is this, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, and, and he's very specific now, so this is what I say we should do, that we write unto them, so this is a letter that's going to come from the elders in Jerusalem to the various churches that, that have uh, Gentile communities, that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, or that word is better, uh, porneia, any sort of sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. So a lot of people will look at this passage and say, this is all that's required. We can now dispense with the law. And remember, there's a difference between the moral law and the civil and the ceremonial laws. So now, and, and in the moral law, we we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And so because of this, verse 20, again, the, the Greco-Roman traditional Christian perspective is that we don't need to keep the Sabbath. In fact, today, this message is going out on what's called, quote-unquote, Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. So we have this uh, idol called Ishtar, or Easter, and that has spilled into the church. And so instead of Passover, which is what the early church kept, we have Christians today worshipping Ishtar. And instead of keeping the Sabbath, they're worshipping on Sunday, which is what the pagans did. Uh, the, the, the worship, the, the day of worshipping the sun. That, that Constantine trying to syncretize and mix paganism with Christianity so that everybody can be happy uh, made Sunday the day of worship. And, and, and so they, they're going to say, we can dispense with the Ten Commandments now. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. When in fact the exact opposite is what's being said here. And so this has to be understood in context. In fact, so, so what's happening now is this, this edict is going to go out from Jerusalem to all of the churches that have the Gentile communities in them. And to make sure that they understand these things. These are high priority items to the Jewish community. That if Gentiles are going to be among us, they need to understand this first and foremost. This is the highest priority. Today, if we were to say there's going to be this wholesale uh, preaching of the true gospel, and let's say those who consider themselves Christians, they consider themselves good people, but they've never really heard the gospel of God. When they hear the true gospel and they come to repentance, and let's say there's going to be this wholesale conversion of traditional Christians into the, 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 the true gospel faith, that we might write to the brethren in various churches that are going to have this influx of traditional Christians and say, make sure that as a basic that they understand certain things. They need to understand that the day, the day of worship, is, it was never Sunday. There is no authorization in the Bible to worship God on Sunday. So let's make sure they understand that. Let's make sure that they understand that the high holy days and, and the pagan holidays, that Christians should not be keeping Easter and Christmas and Valentine's Day. That there may be certain things that people are so clued out uh, in terms of the true faith, that if, if we're going to have this influx, these are sort of the necessary items to communicate. And that's what's happening here, that from Jerusalem, 
they're, they're going to uh, send this letter out to the various communities with these high priority items. Now, where do these high priority items come from? So again, at the time, these are things that pagans did. And if these pagans are now being converted and they're going to come into the community, they need to know immediately, this is of the most urgency, they need to know that they've got to stop doing these things. Now, why were these particular items of such a high priority? We have to go back to the Torah. We have to go back to Leviticus, where we see the law being laid down by Moses, and particularly around what happens when you have strangers among you. So, so as uh, Israel was brought out of Egypt with the first exodus, and they're brought into uh, a land where they can worship God, away from Pharaoh, that many Egyptians came with them. And so they had strangers among them. And so this is the same thing now, where now we have strangers among us. And so Moses makes it clear what the high priority items are when you have these pagans who are going to begin to mix with you. So in Leviticus 17, well, let's just pick up a few verses here. Actually, quite a few, but I'll, I'll read them quickly. Um, he, he lays it down, beginning in verse 10. Uh, I'm going to just read from 17 and a bit of 18. In verse 10, he writes, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that dwell among you, okay, so this is the, the, the Pharisees and the Jews, and they would all understand the Torah. So whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that dwell among you, that eats any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eats blood, and will cut him off from among his people. You can see the strong wording here, and how offensive this would be to Jewish sensibilities when you have these pagans who are suddenly with us, and, and they, they eat blood, they drink blood, they, they, they have no sensitivity to the abomination around consuming blood. So he says, I will cut him off from among his people. So you can just imagine that. They don't want, they want, they don't want anything to do with this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourns among you eat blood. So this is, this is something that it doesn't just apply to the Israelite. It equally applies to any stranger, any Gentile that dwells among them. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that dwells among you, which hunts and catches any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. So, so when you have these strangers who are dwelling with you, they can't do this. this. This applies equally to them. For it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, you shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood thereof. Whosoever eats it shall be cut off. And every soul that eats that which dies of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or of a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even, then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. 
So we don't want these people, these strangers, mixing with us and not understanding this and making us unclean. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. So they're coming out of Egypt, they're going into Canaan, but they're bringing some Egyptians with them, and they're also going into the land of these Canaanites. He says, uh, Leviticus 18.3, After the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. Don't bring those practices with you. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, where I bring you, shall you not do. Don't, don't adopt the practices of the, these people. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife shall you not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether she's born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, even their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten of your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's kinswoman, near kinswoman. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is thy mother's near kinswoman. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach to his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Neither shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. For they are her near kinswoman. It is wickedness. You shall not take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. Also, you shall not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put, she is put apart for uncleanness. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your seed pass through the fire to Molech. Neither shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Neither shall you lie with any beast to defile yourself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. Defile not you yourselves in any of these things. So these are things that the Canaanites are doing. You're going into this land. Don't do it. For in all these nations, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomits out their inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations. These are abominations. These are not something that, these are my preferences. God is saying all of these things are abominations. And these are the things that the, the pagans do. And when the pagans come in and dwell among you, make sure they don't do these things and you don't do these things. He says, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that dwells among you. 
For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. God is not going to change his mind on these things ever. These things will never be cool with God. These things will never be acceptable with God. These things are an abomination. And it's the reason why the, 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 the uh, inhabitants of Canaan were, were thrown out of the land and the Israelites were moved out. And it's the very reason why the Israelites were then t- taken captive and scattered. And then because of God's mercy, they were brought back. But they were still under subjugation. And so they realized that they cannot play with this thing. And if Gentiles are going to come in among us, they cannot take us back into these practices. He says, verse 28, that the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall you keep my ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. So you can imagine now, as these Jews are are realizing that the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit and they're coming into the church, that there is a very clear law around the abominations that the pagans were practicing, that if the pagans were to come and dwell among you, make sure they do not engage in these abominations and defile the land. These abominations defile the land. And if the land is defiled, you will be cast out of the land and you will be cut off from God. And so as they're looking at this, Acts 15, verse 20, that, okay, let's write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from, it's not fornication, it's it's that whole list of sexual immorality in Leviticus 18. So any kind of porneia, the Greek is porneia, it just means any sort of sexual immorality, that they, they should be pure. So write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from porneia and from things strangled and from blood. So you write to them to this. Now, people will look at that and say, see, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. So this is not talking about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments will always be in force. There will never be a time that God says it's okay to murder. There will never be a time that God says it's okay to steal. It's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to covet your neighbor's wife. This is the moral eternal code of God, including and it's never going to be okay to have idols before God. And including the Sabbath. It's never going to be okay to desecrate holy time. That it's never been it's never going to be okay for us to say, Oh, I, I choose this state. Any day is holy. I choose this state to be holy. We can't do that. Holy means that it's set aside for divine purpose. And God is the one that has set aside certain time periods. He set those certain time periods aside as divine appointments for God for, for God to fellowship with man and for man to come before God at, a, at an appointed time. In fact, if you look at Genesis, the, the very uh, first chapter, when, when, when God is creating the sun and the moon, he makes it clear that he's put them in the heavens. They're, they're called the Mo'adim for divine appointments. And then he explains what these divine appointments are in Leviticus 23, when he says, these are my divine appointments. He doesn't say these are the divine appointments of the Jews or these are the divine appointments of Israel. He says to Moses, say unto the people of Israel, these are my divine appointments. And so the, when you read Leviticus 23, you realize why the sun and moon are in the sky. 
so that we can know the divine appointments, including the weekly Sabbath. Now, people are going to look at this. Acts 15, 20. But I don't see the Sabbath in here. If the Sabbath was so important, why wouldn't they say, tell the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath? And the answer is, because it was completely unnecessary. It is Gentiles coming in among the Jewish believers who observe the Sabbath. And when you saw Paul just last week when we were there and the week before, they came on the Sabbath to have these words preached to them. So they knew where to go to hear the word. And, and that was the custom. And every week they would go to the synagogue to hear the word preached to them. And it, again, it was the church fathers that forced Christians to stop keeping the Sabbath. And it was the church fathers that forced Christians to stop keeping the high holy days because of their hatred for the Jews. And it was the, the church fathers that forced Christians to stop keeping Passover and to start keeping Easter. Do your research. Do your research. How is it that the church came to keep Easter instead of Passover? How is it that the church came to keep Sunday instead of Sabbath? None of this comes from the Bible. It comes from the church fathers and their hatred of the Jews. And so, okay, you don't see in verse 20 that the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is not a requirement. Of course not, because that was not the issue of the time. He's, they're highlighting the sort of common practices of the pagans. And if they're going to be converted and come among us, you may, let's make sure as a foundation they understand these things. Now, why isn't the Sabbath mentioned? We only need to read the very next verse to see why the Sabbath isn't mentioned. He says, let's, let's give them these basics. And then in verse 21, he says, For Moses of old time has in every city them that preach him. In other words, we've spread out in every city. And there are Jews in every city and elders in every city and teachers in every city that preach Moses. So, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Did you catch that? There is no need to give them all the details. Let, let's just give them these highlights, because these are the things that are most abominable and, and are most offensive and most common, commonly practiced, that as they come in among us, they're going to be keeping the Sabbath. And they're going to be going to the synagogues every Sabbath day. And, and there's people there that are going to teach them the details. So, so they can get the details locally. But let's, from us, let's send them this letter that tells them, stay away from these abominable practices that could cause us to be ejected from the land and, and could cause us to be cut off from God. Make sure you don't do these things. And then as you're being taught locally on, on, uh, at the weekly Sabbath service, you'll pick up the rest. For Moses of old time has in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So if they started keeping Sunday at this time, they'd have no clue what Moses taught. They'd be completely out to lunch. So this letter from Jerusalem would have to be a lot longer because they'd have to say, well, we know they don't fellowship with us on the Sabbath because they keep their own day. So let's send them a whole book, an encyclopedia, that they can come to understand how this relates to them. No, everybody's keeping the Sabbath. And so they'll get the details at the weekly service and that that everyone's keeping the sabbath that is until the church fathers who hated the jews begin to flex their muscles 
and begin to turn the church, the Christian church, into something unrecognizable to the early church. Verse 22. Then pleased that the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, named Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So Judas and Silas were real strong pillars in the community, and everybody was really happy with this judgment. Yeah, let's just give them the foundation, and then on a weekly basis they'll get, they'll get everything else. And, and we don't need to teach them about the Sabbath, because everybody's keeping the Sabbath. And then let's send Judas and, and uh, Silas with them, so that we can just confirm that this is the edict of Jerusalem. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings in, unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So this is a, a, an example of the kind of letter that they wrote. So they wrote letters to them uh, by them, by these brethren, after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings unto the brethren, which are, in, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. So this is a real shame for the Pharisees, that the people that came from Judea, saying you must be circumcised, you must keep the law, and they're saying we, we, we didn't authorize this. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are people that are really, really committed. These are not, you, these are the, uh, the real deal. These are authentic men, and they have um, hazarded their lives. They've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So we're going to write this, but they're also going to preach it to you. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, from which, if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare ye well. So that's all they had to say, and they know that everything else that's necessary, that they understand as believers in Christ, that they have the faith in Christ, and salvation is coming by faith, not by works, that everything else they're going to get locally. But they really need to understand these things. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which, when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So, you know, circumcision is going to be very, very painful. Uh, nobody's going to be really happy about having to undergo that, especially on, on such a scale. And, uh, and just the burden of all the ceremonial laws and if this, do this. And, and it was just out of control, especially, and not just the, the Torah, but uh, the oral law as well, which, which was really out of control to put a hedge around the Torah, it was just a real burden. And so this whole dispute now as to whether or not Gentiles have to completely adopt all of this, now it's clear they don't. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, so these were really not just uh, pillars in the community, they were actually prophets, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. So did you see that? 
So it, it wasn't just what's in the letter. That's not all they got. Judas and Silas went and exhorted the brethren with many words. And this is what's going to happen on a local level. So this is why they didn't have to go into all the detail, because there's going to be men on the ground that are going to give them more. And so Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. So they're going to go back. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. And so they're all going to go back to Jerusalem now. But Silas says, you know what? Uh, he's building relationships with the brethren there. And uh, he's doing a good work of making sure they're understanding the faith in Christ. And so he decides he's going to stay there a bit longer. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So again, even Paul and Barnabas are teaching additional things beyond what's in this, this epistle, this letter that they sent from Jerusalem. So Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So many of them are doing this. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, so, so they're there, they're strengthening the brethren there in Antioch, they're teaching, many teaching, and then after some time, and again, this is every Sabbath, the brethren are coming together, the Gentile brethren are coming together with Paul and Silas and Barnabas and the others uh, on the Sabbath and getting this teaching. And then some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So let's, let's go back, retrace our steps again, and just, just check in on all of the different congregations and just ensure that everything's going well. And again, this is going to be a, a weekly Sabbath. They're going to go in on, on the Sabbath and teach. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. So remember now, uh, John had separated from them and went back to Jerusalem. So now when they go back to Jerusalem, they could uh, reconnect with John. And so Barnabas was determined that John should come with them, John Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them when they were in, in uh, Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So this is going back when we were in Acts 13 and verse 13. It says, now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and Luke writes, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And Luke doesn't give us a lot of details, but this was a, a really treacherous journey, a very, very difficult journey. John Mark was a very young man, and it looks like he could not keep up with it. And so he went back home. And now they catch up with him in Jerusalem, and now Barnabas thinks it's a good idea to bring John Mark, in fact, Barnabas doesn't think it's a good idea. He thinks it's critical that John Mark come with them. But Paul has a different opinion. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Luke just wrote that he departed. Paul is now, now he's giving a little bit more detail that Paul was upset. Uh, he let, he, to Paul, he let them down. Paul thought he could depend on him. Young man, energetic, good assistant. And then he's like, hey, I'm out of here. And so Paul's like, mm, nah, I don't think so. 
And then look at the verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them. So this was a real argument that Paul and Barnabas were having over John Mark. And so this argument was so sharp between them that they departed asunder. They split, they themselves, they were this, this uh, couple that worked together so well, Paul and Barnabas. But Barnabas was so insistent that John Mark come with them that basically, I think Barnabas maybe put down an ultimatum or Paul put down the ultimatum that maybe Paul said, look, if he's coming, you're not coming with me. Or maybe Barnabas said, look, if he's not coming, I'm not going with you. And so it was such they were both so convinced of their opinions that it caused them to separate. That they departing asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed him to Cyprus. And, and you know, Barnabas, uh, he, at the time when Paul, or, you know, Saul, con was converted, after, after hunting down and persecuting so many believers, that when he finally was converted, none of the believers trusted him. They were afraid of him. And it was Barnabas who had this spirit of discernment and who was able to look at him and say, no, he's a believer now, and, and to encourage the brethren to accept him because he had that discernment. And now the same thing is happening, I believe, with Mark, with John Mark, that he's looking at John Mark and he's seeing over the time, maybe it's been a few months, that the man has matured, he's grown. And this will be really good for his development to come with us on these journeys. And, I, and Barnabas knows firsthand what the journeys are like. And he has this discernment around John Mark to say he's ready. But Paul does not have that same discernment around John Mark. And so it's funny that the, the person who depended on Barnabas for his acceptance with the believing community is now unwilling to accept John Mark from the word of this same man. In any case, they felt so strongly about it that they went their separate ways. And, you know, this is how it is uh, in God's church, that we're not always, 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 always of the same opinion. And sometimes it's okay for us to go our separate ways. It's okay. We're still doing the work of God. And so they split from each other, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas. So it's good that Silas was there. So instead of having Barnabas now, he's going to partner with Silas. And notice that these uh, apostles often work in pairs. And I think they learned that from Christ who sent them out in pairs. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So in other words, going back and visiting these churches that he had established and just ensuring that they are solid in the faith. So fascinating chapter, a real turning point now. And uh, now, now Paul is going to be able to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and not have this uh, Judaic uh, influence, this um, uh, Pharisaic, Pharisaical influence um, hampering his efforts. Now it's very clear they're all on one page. Uh, this is the absolute things that they have to understand immediately. And everything else they'll understand at the weekly Sabbath service. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause there, have a little bit of a music interlude. And I'll be uh, right back. Europe, Asia, Africa, America, Australia. God is calling here his home. Oh, people of the earth. 
children of the universe Why can't you be faithful and true All that is done for you All that is brought you through Yet you found your own way And you chose not to pray Stop Be still Hear him and pray He is your maker He is your God Your God, He 
So thank you for joining us this week as we studied Acts chapter 15. Uh, next week we'll be up to Acts chapter 16. And again, tell your friends, tell your pastor. Uh, please join us as we go through line by line and just understand the Word of God more perfectly. I'm your host, Adrian Davis. Look forward to you joining us again next week. God bless you.